All right, welcome back to Energy Explain, our family YouTube channel and podcast. And we're coming to you today to talk about nuclear power. And it's come up in the comments of some of our videos. And we've been asked a lot, how do we see or how does Vikram see nuclear power? Reminding our listeners that this channel is all about a little father and son team. My father sitting outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. He comes to us via the Stanford Engineering Program and Halliburton as their former CTO. And he speaks with authority in all things energy. I sit out here in Amsterdam and play the role of host. And today, we, again, we're going to be talking about nuclear power. So just to kick things off, nuclear was a really hot topic, I'd say, in the 70s, certainly in the late 40s and 50s, and there's a history there. When you think about nuclear, there are two technologies our listeners are probably familiar with, fission, which is the technology powering all the reactors that exist in the world, and fusion, which is a much more um, well, the, physically, the concept is known, understood theoretically very well. From a practical perspective, it's much more speculative. So give it a lay of the land of how you see these two technologies right now before we go further in the, in the call. All right. So let me just give you a very, very short tutorial on which is what here. Uh, fusion, sorry, fission uh, with an I uh, is the conventional technology, as you say. Uh, what, it, uh, what it entails is you have a radioactive element. Let's say uranium-235. There are others, but let's say yep. uranium-235. You bombard them with something called thermal neutrons, a relatively slow neutrons. When that happens, uh, they, 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 uh, they, the nucleus breaks down into two different uh, molecules. Uh, in the case of U-235, it breaks down into a barium and a krypton. Okay, it really doesn't matter what it is. But the point is, with, with that is a release of energy and there's release of um, neutrons, further neutrons. Those neutrons will then go and attack another uh, U-235 and on it goes. That's what's called a chain reaction. Yeah. Uh, so it will just keep on going uh, and then keep on producing energy and the energy will then be converted into heat and then drive turbines. That's how uh, fission works. Yeah. Now, fusion is a totally different concept where you have two atoms that are fused together. They're usually small atoms, uh, something like uh, an isotope of water, of, of sorry, hydrogen, uh, and these two are fused together, which is very hard to do. You have to create a plasma. A plasma is just ion, ions. Uh, and um, uh, containment is the difficulty and it produces a whole lot of energy, the fusion, but containment is hard. Uh, but if you can successfully do that, you can get a lot of energy in a very small space, okay? Uh, I am, I'll tell you right now, straight out, that when you read a lot on nuclear, you'll see there's a lot of work going on fusion. A lot of people are bullish on fusion. But that old joke, which I participate in, which is that uh, every year it's 35 years away. Or right, in my case, right. I say 25 years away every year. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. uh, I, it could well happen. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I'm much more interested in improvements in fission. Right. And I know in fusion, they talk about this moment of ignition where they produce more power than they put into and it's never been achieved. And to your point, you're really trying to recreate conditions like on the sun with incredibly high pressure and temperature. And to do that, you need to contain the fire, so to speak. And that is... 
one takes a ton of energy and is incredibly physically complex. So let's let's say fusion is a speculative technology, potentially worthy of public investment, potentially worthy of research, but certainly not in the climate change play. But we're not going to put really any chips on that hand because it's just too speculative. Let's look then at fission. So old, reliable fission we've had big nuclear power plants in the United States since what the late 60s, uh, big ones and really power plants since the 50s, features heavily in cartoons like The Simpsons, right? It's part of our cultural awareness. And about 20% of our power in the United States comes from nuclear fission. That being said, it's incredibly politically unpopular, it seems like. And these power plants are massive capital projects. So how do you, you know, massive capital projects, politically unpalatable, doesn't sound like part of the climate change solution, but that's not where we're going to end up on this. So how do you, how do you see it fitting in? Yeah. So I see that the big nuclear reactors, uh, you know, big meaning, uh, uh, gigawatt size, uh, right. uh, which is the standard size for, uh, for coal and for natural gas to some degree. Uh, those are, I don't see them happening because uh, they take forever to get financed, then forever to get permitted, and then forever to build, and forever is a long time. Okay. And after all that is said and done, the fully loaded cost is somewhere between 11 and 18 cents a kilowatt hour. Okay. Uh, and then you, you said earlier that back then, 25 years and before, uh, it was the favorite because it was seen as the only really clean energy concept. Uh, right. Uh, but then when shale gas came along uh, and just just killed it, basically, because uh, shale gas made it so inexpensive that the 11 to 18 cents just simply didn't cut it. Uh, you had to right. really want to do it. Uh, so I don't think the big scale ones are going to happen. So what what will what? And then, of course, there was Fukushima, which if, if you like, I can explain what happened. Uh, but uh, but what I favor is what's called small modular reactors, uh, and and we can get more into that, or we could get into why Germany and Switzerland and many and Italy uh, don't want nuclear. Uh, what triggered that? If you want, Let, let's let's talk about the small modular reactors because when you're talking 11 to 18 cents per kilowatt hour of these massive capital projects, can you remind us what power generated by natural gas currently goes for? Well, Closer. so it, yeah, it, it's it's in the low single digits. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so this is, a, and depends on where natural gas. In Europe, it's a bit more because natural gas costs more there, but in the U.S., natural gas, uh, natural gas, uh, Cost less than half of what it does in Europe, so it depends on where you are. Okay, but having said that, it is still under the ten cents. Okay, uh, right. Uh, so and 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 keeping in mind that now it's not so much natural gas that is the issue; it is solar. I mean, yeah. All, see, things have changed in the last literally five years, but maybe tenish years. Uh, solar and wind have dramatically, in some places, become the low cost producer. Lower yeah. than dirty coal. Clean coal is very expensive, but lower than yeah. dirty coal. Uh, dirty coal meaning yeah. coal done the old-fashioned way. Uh, and lower than natural gas in, in a lot of places that other than the U.S. Uh, uh, so, because right now we're talking about solar. Uh, these are total big bids, okay? Yeah. Going for under two and a half cents a kilowatt hour, okay? 
I, remember I said the other one was 11 to 18, okay? Right. So, so I mean, it, 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 people have to recognize that solar and wind are for real. Uh, yeah. They are headed towards being the low cost, but they have their own issue. And their issue is that it's diurnal. Right. Now, now let's, okay. So, and reminding our listeners, a fact out there is that worldwide, 39% of power is generated from coal and 10 to 11% is from nuclear. Now, coal cannot be part of any equation. We've just talked about that massive nuclear, the old school massive power plants you see in the Sim Simpsons are just not economical. We know China and Russia are investing a lot into them, but ultimately those countries, well, China relies much more on coal and Russia, it could be due to other technological investment reasons. Now, so if we're looking at it, that old school nuclear is not going to be a ready-made solution to displace coal. Natural gas already is, but it comes with its own lesser, much lesser pollution concerns. Do you see these small modular reactors playing a role? And maybe you could explain a little bit what these are and how these could be part of the future. Yeah. So I, if you don't mind, I'll give you a little anecdote that happened to me on SMRs. Sorry, they're called SMRs, yeah. uh, small modular reactors. Uh, uh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. SMRs, yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it, there's another meaning for that, which is... Uh, steam methane reformers and one of your one of your people who saw the video he and i had a little back and forth before we realized we were talking about different smrs but uh, uh but so those so aren't SMRs, those aren't my people those are just people on the internet you you, you realize <laughs> that i don't know these yes, people yes. either <laughs> just as much my people i suppose uh, uh yeah that's they, correct that's correct yeah so smr SMRs, uh, but 20 or so years ago, um, two scientists from Los Alamos, National, Los Alamos National Labs came to me and they said uh, they had a concept, okay? And, uh, and so I looked at it and I had my chief physicist look at it and he, he said the science was good. Uh, it was going to be, uh, it was intrinsically safe, essentially. Uh, it was liquid metal, liquid metal cooled and so forth. Uh, uh, and I wanted to do something interesting with it. I wanted to take it to Canada uh, for um, for uh, uh, SAG-D, for heavy oil production. For heavy oil production, the only way you can do it is to send a lot of steam down. And the production of that steam creates a lot of mm. CO2. This has been an issue for Canada. So I wanted to put one of the SMRs out in the field and just use the heat part. So it was going to generate 25 yeah. uh, megawatts of electricity, but another 40 or so of, of, of sensible heat. Uh, so I wanted to use the heat for the steam, send it down, and send the electricity to the town or whatever, okay? Uh, and I was dissuaded, shall we say, by my upper management uh, because of the nuclear world. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. hey, but in retrospect, thank goodness for that. You know, the best deals you make are the ones you don't make, you know, sometimes, you know. Uh, so I want to invest yeah. in it is what happened yeah. because I was leading a fund for Albert. And... and uh, uh, and it's a good thing it didn't happen because it it's still there. It, it was called Hyperion at the time. Now it's called Gen 4, I believe, uh, the company. Uh, and so it's still there. I believe I was right. The technology was good. But what I didn't recognize is the hurdles of getting it there, the permitting, getting people behind it, and so forth. So anyway, so that's a little anecdote. Uh, 
th these things, so for example, that one, uh, as I told you, is 25 megawatt, interesting little size, okay? So all SMR is somewhere between 25 and 300 megawatt electric. But I say electric yeah. because you will have another that much or more uh, heat uh, for combined cycling, all right? Uh, yeah. So yeah. Th that's the range they're in. And I, I see a lot of potential for them because they're different chemistry. They're, they're, they can be, at least that one was intrinsically safe. I didn't want to get into it. Uh, uh, in fact, to the point where yeah. it was going to be in a canister buried underground for 10 years. And then you come back and pull it out and replace it and change the fuel rods. Okay. Uh, so I, yeah. this is all kind of neat stuff. So SMRs, I'm very bullish on. And now there are many more than Hyperion or whatever it's called now, Gen 4. Uh, right. I would say they're probably in the forefront four or five. So this is not just an idea. Okay. People are actually doing it. You just have to get to uh, get it permitted and people behind it. Because I'll tell you one big problem with SMRs. If you think people are against nuclear reactors, think of it that this for the same power, now you have 10 times that many if they're small. But they're highly distributed. Different communities get it, okay? But so communities are going to have to get behind the concept that it is safe uh, and clean. So that's what SMR is about. You can see I'm pretty bullish on them. How, what kind of cost are we talking about? You said 11 to 18 uh, cents per kilowatt hour for your old school nuclear. You talked uh, natural gas does have a range, but it's in the single digits, let's say three to eight, depending on where you are. Where do S and SMRs line up? Let's say at scale. Of course, the first one you produce won't be at this level of efficiency, but at scale, where, where, where do they line up in, in your eyes? Yeah, so now you've touched on a chicken and egg problem SMRs have. Uh, SMR, what makes SMRs cost effective is you need a lot of them. What am I talking about? The concept of SMRs mm -hmm. is that you manufacture them somewhere else in one single location, therefore have economies of scale in terms of manufacture, okay? A scale of manufacture, not scale of size, okay? And and, and then all you Got do it. is take it out to the location and plug it in, all right? Uh, uh, you know, now your steam generation and all that is sitting there, but this guy, you just plug it in. So the chicken and egg problem is that you need lots of orders to have the cost go down, okay? Yeah. But I, yeah. I believe based upon what the Los Alamos people told me back then, and I'm not gonna repeat their numbers or quote them because it's not fair, uh, that was a long time ago, but I, I easily see single digits. But it's chicken and egg. Okay. You need lots now, of them. It's chicken and egg. Okay. Well, okay. piecing that together, you know, you mentioned something where you're going to produce at scale. Now, I believe you're alluding to the fact that nuclear power plants, let's say the old school ones, are 100% custom built on site, that um, they're all their own snowflakes, they're all different. And to your point, we've never achieved scale economies of building them for lots of reasons, but this being one of them. So what you're identifying here is an advance to allow scale-based production methodologies to affect uh, nuclear power generation. Super interesting. But the point you raise about the political palatability remains. I'll give you an anecdote. I used to live in San Diego, as you well know, and there's a nuclear power plant north of San Diego. And I remember riding by it on a bike ride one time and someone commenting, wow, I can't believe we're so close to the nuclear power plant. And I commented that I think that there were 10 
nuclear submarines parked in the San Diego Bay at that point in time because of the Navy SEAL training center and they were all in town for some reason. And those all had nuclear reactors on them. And that wasn't freaking anybody out. So why should this nuclear power plant freak people out? Trust me, no one found that argument convincing whatsoever. They found it almost just disconcerting that these nuclear subs existed and the opposite effect that I wanted. How do we address this? Because these are the let's you know, do, do we have to throw the term nuclear out? Like what you have experienced this in the energy, energy world and energy industry. It's not just a marketing problem. It's deeper than that. It's a conversation with the public. How do we have that conversation? Yeah. Well, actually, let me go build on your anecdote. Exactly right. Nuclear subs have SMRs in them. Okay. So it was not an accident. The Los Alamos scientists invented this. They were working with weapons. And they probably designed the garden, yeah. the nuclear reactors, okay, or somebody like them, okay, for the subs, okay. So that's, <laughs> that's an excellent anecdote, that's right. an excellent right. point that people, when the army handles it, but then they probably figure the army knows how to do it safely or something, okay. Uh, uh, so maybe, you know, that may be the way to do it, that, that to convince the public, uh, maybe uh, army-like discipline is brought and they'll say, well, you know the Navy is doing it. Uh, so let's have Navy-like uh, discipline. I, that's an interesting thought. That, that may be the way to go. But I think the other way to go is something that um, I've not seen anywhere else. So just me talking, okay? Uh, solar and wind that's what we're here for. desperately need backup power and power for, yeah. And right now it's provided with natural gas. Solar and wind installations of three, so uh, LA just installed a 400 megawatt uh, solar, okay? Uh, but for that 400 megawatt solar, they needed back, and that was gonna cost literally two cents and some small change per kilowatt hour. You're envisioning a, a rollout wherein we have SMRs paired with major wind and solar installations. And that allows us to go completely green with the SMRs picking up the base load that the wind and solar simply cannot. Sounds like a dream solution of pairing nuclear with wind and solar. And a lot of our commenters, how realistic do you think the technological state of play is now? We have some startups, scale-ups doing it, the Gates Foundation's involved, there's clearly funding, but not the kind of funding that nuclear got in the 60s and 70s from the US government. Do you think we have a bit of a funding gap because of the political perception around nuclear? Yeah, I think it's realistic in the middle of this coming decade, which is not that far away when you're talking nuclear. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, wow. to, to get going. I, I think by, by 2030, I think we can hit its stride, uh, which will also be about the time that solar and wind really hit their stride. I mean, right now, with all the promise and with all the good numbers, there's still very low single digits and overall percentage. Uh, so it's got a ways to go. Uh, so I, I think they should grow up together. I haven't really, you know, I just thought of it during this call and I haven't vetted the idea. Uh, I think that it can be the base load that goes with it. I know the sizing is right for a four or 500 megawatt mm -hmm. solar. Uh, an SMR will be about the right size, back of the envelope. I'm doing it in my head as I go because I just thought of it. Uh, uh, but uh, I think if we look, uh, look, at, look through the issue, uh, then certainly it would be complementary 
It might also need some batteries as well or something. I'll have to think it through. But overall, yeah, I see it complementary, but I have not studied it, nor I believe has anybody else that I have read. Well, uh, interesting place to end up then. So, you know, where we started at talking about breaking down the basis of nuclear fission, fusion, and so on and so forth. And we get to a point that Vikram really doesn't believe that these big old school nuclear uh, installations are, are part of the solution to climate change. But a new technology called small modular reactors could be and could pair really nicely with wind and solar. The technology appears to be there. The funding and the political will, however, could be lagging. And that's something we need to think about, talk about more on this channel and talk about the challenges therein because there really isn't another dream solution out there besides the hydrogen economy we talked about where you really overproduce the power you need and convert it into hydrogen. That does feel ultimately further off than this could be. So really interesting to talk today. We'd like to remind everyone, if you're on YouTube, hit like. If you're on a Spotify or podcasting platform, hit follow um, and send us your comments. Send us your suggestions. We are in the, in, we're in the chats as we talked about. My people are there. His people are there. And we just like to sign up and thank everyone for all the support we've gotten. And we'll see you on our next episode.